0: I, I got this project, my design firm got this project that was a three-bedroom Airbnb house. And I had a designer working for me at the time who, her husband was a videographer and he approached me and he was like, hey Val, do you want to film an e-course in the space? And I was like, yeah, Zach, I do. His name was Zach too. Um, I was like, I don't know how to do that, but let's do it. And he he's very talented and he has um, he had all the like fancy equipment and lighting and everything. And so we did it.
1: Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In a minute, you'll meet Valerie Malone, creator and founder of Quill Decor, a design consultancy that specializes in short-term rentals. Valerie studied interior design at Auburn University, but always had a knack for entrepreneurship. After running a successful Airbnb out of her basement in Bloomington, Indiana, Valerie fell in love with the Airbnb community and felt a calling of sorts to make an impact in the budding short-term rental economy. After she landed her first Airbnb design gig, Valerie decided it would be worth documenting the entire process so that she could one day teach current and aspiring hosts how to successfully design their homes to stand out. As fate would have it, her husband landed a professorship at Cambridge and Valerie's family moved to the UK, but not before she produced one of the most comprehensive, inspiring and user-friendly e-courses on Airbnb design on the market. During our conversation, Valerie outlines several helpful frameworks for how to think about the design style of your Airbnb, and she shares advice on how to effectively and efficiently craft a memorable experience that compels a five-star review. One last thing before I introduce you to Val. Quill Decor is offering a free Airbnb Design Masterclass on Wednesday, July 7th. So if you're listening to this before the 7th, be sure to sign up via the link below. Valerie is also offering spontaneous subscribers and behind the stays listeners a special offer on her Airbnb design e-course. Visit the links in the show notes for more information. All right. Without further ado, get ready to meet Valerie Malone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Valerie Malone, who is the creator and founder of Quill Decor. Welcome to the show, Valerie.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Well, you are over the pond all the way in, you're not in London. Where are you in England?
0: We're about um, an hour outside of London, in Cambridge.
1: In Cambridge, in Cambridge. And I am recording today from the west coast of the United States in this small little town called Quincy, Washington. So, uh, what? Yeah, what time is it over there?
0: It is four thirty p.m. and you are eight thirty.
1: Eight thirty a.m. Yeah, yeah. A.m. So yeah. This might Fun. be sort of like the biggest like gap in in time of of any recording I've ever done. Um, so this is exciting. Awesome. actually no, you know what? I did, I do think I did one recording, one podcast with somebody from Australia. So that was a little that was especially cool. fun but um but hey yeah i'm excited to to have you on the show and we're going to be talking a lot about airbnb design we 're going to talk about how to think and approach sort of a redesign or a design from scratch for your short term rental today, but to kick us off i'm I'm curious Valerie, if you could just share with us and our listeners a little bit about the first thing you ever designed if you can remember. Uh, what was the, what was the very first thing that you, you designed? What was it? And, um, you know, what did you learn from that experience?
0: Well, I, when you asked this question, I went back to, um, my early days, I had some pretty amazing bedrooms as a kid. One was like full of sunflower, everything. Like if you could put a thing on it, it was a sunflower and it was in my room. But the one that I pinpointed was when I was 16, I redecorated my brother's bedroom because he was older and he moved out. So I took over that space and it was a whole lot of purple on purple on bright yellow with like sunshines and swirls. It was really hideous, but it was <laughs> mine. And I was immensely proud of it at 16. It reflected my personality and and what a testament to my mom that she allowed me to have all of this free reign. But it's so it's not something that I would feel proud of now necessarily, but I definitely think that it's always been in me to be very focused on my physical surroundings and pay a lot of attention to them and have, have a lot of fun making them reflect, um, me and kind of my personality.
1: That's, that's great. How did your brother feel when he came back for like the holidays?
0: I have no idea. I don't (laughs) think he remembered at all. I mean, I don't think he, he didn't care either way. I don't think he was, yeah, I don't think he was affected.
1: (laughs) Uh, well that's good. That's good. It could have gone uh you know uh, one of two ways there. Um sounds like it went a yeah. better way. So talk to us a little bit about right. uh Quill Decor. Um what were sort of the events that led to founding Quill and um where did the name come from?
0: Oh, I love this question. And hardly anybody ever asks me this question, so it's fun to talk about the name. But first Um, Quill Decor was actually founded in 2015. We moved to um, the Midwest from Canada. We've moved around a lot, my husband and I, since since we've been married. Um, We moved back to the Midwest. Um, I founded Quill Decor as a local and online residential interior design business. Um I have a a design degree from Auburn University and I've always I had always been in the commercial realm hmm. up until that point so i I kind of wanted to move into the residential side because we had a kid and I wanted to kind of make it more of a lifestyle business and um, I had a lot of fun building the brand and fo- trying to focus on online design but I ended up doing more local design um, it's just kind of how it how it ended up for me, but it was um, maybe two years into that or a year and a half into that business, I, I started focusing on Airbnb design. So I just didn't think anybody was paying enough attention to Airbnb hmm. design and short-term rental design and, and short-term rental wasn't even like the key phrase back then. Um, so I just started focusing on it and learning more about it and listening to podcasts. And um, so that's, that's Quill Decor. Yeah. And then the the name is, it's just kind of a nod to things of the past So my number one cardinal rule for decorating is to have at least one thing in every room that is older than you. I think this is the quickest and easiest way to add character and soul to a space. And, you know, when you're decorating an Airbnb property, often you're coming into an empty space that maybe is a condo and maybe it's a spec home. It doesn't have a lot of personality. And so this definitely... Brings true then to try and find something that is older than you, that has a history that has some character. Even if you don't know what that history is, it just instantly will infuse some meaning and interest into the room. So quill, just think of like, you know, I actually have a quill pen, an old quill pen that sits on my desk.
1: Very old so brand. That's Very brand. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious what your, so it looks like you might be in an office space right now. Um, and or somewhere near your, your, maybe a family room, what is a, what is the oldest thing in that room? Oh, do you know?
0: That's a great question. Um, I don't, I have a lot of old things. I just went, hold on. Let me, let me grab something and I'll show you. Yeah. So I just recently went to, um, an antiques market with a friend of mine and I found this really old liquor bottle. It's leather. Wow. I'll have to see. I'll take a picture of it so you can put it in the show notes. But it has the initial G, which is my um married last name is actually Grimes. And then it has a V on the other side. My wow. name's Valerie. So
1: that is and it's awesome. It's just
0: really old. And that has like a yeah. So I don't know how old this is. Well,
1: there that's you a good go. Question. Well, love it. It looks like you practice what you preach. So that's that's awesome. I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: So you guys you said you moved around a lot. Um you guys were in Alberta, and then you moved to Indiana. Why why do you guys move around so much?
0: Why do we move around? So my husband is a um, professor. He's a business school professor. So we started out in Nashville, Tennessee, and Nashville is where we um, met and got married. And then we had a baby and moved to um, Edmonton, Alberta in Canada. And then we moved to Bloomington, Indiana, where he was at IU and then to Cambridge. So now he has tenure at Cambridge University and we're not moving anymore. This is it. We're <laughs> gonna stay here.
1: Wow. Wow. What uh, what a set of experiences. And I would imagine, right, like Throughout all these unique places, you have had the opportunity to stay in some places, maybe some airbnbs sort of at least observe what the short term rental market is like in each of these in each of these areas. Is there anything like that particularly stands out in terms of from a cultural standpoint of how folks think about short term stays or how folks think about airbnbs based off of like the location
0: so many airbnbs we've stayed in Zach. And not just in America, like all over the world, we've traveled a lot. And that's another reason why I was so interested in kind of jumping into the design realm in the Airbnb space. Um, I don't know culturally if I can say anything different in different zones, except if you're in Europe, there are no top sheets. There's only a duvet cover on a giant, very thick duvet, no matter what the climate is. So it's 80 degrees in your room because there's no air conditioning. There's no sheet. You've just got the puffy thing. So that's a cultural thing in Europe. Um, We've stayed in some in Australia and I felt they were very catering. I felt very catered to by the multiple Airbnbs we stayed in in Australia, lots of food there left for us. And this was like five or six years ago. So it was before people were buzzy about being hospitable with snacks and treats. Right. Yeah. So that was the first time we had experienced that kind of hospitality. I think my favorite Airbnb we've stayed in was in Wyoming and it was on an alpaca farm. Wow. and there were baby lambs and there were alpacas and it was so impactful and one of the most memorable experiences that's yeah. awesome and they left us fresh fresh farm eggs in the kitchen and from their chickens the whole thing it's
1: really cool you know what's uh, it what's interesting about this actually my wife and I were talking about this as we were driving uh from Seattle to Quincy yesterday and it, we were talking about this idea that being in sort of the Airbnb space right now, right? It's if you're an Airbnb host, like you are in the hospitality business, which is interesting because we call Airbnbs like the general categories, like short-term rental, right? And yet the, the way that you would relate with a somebody you know a renter as a landlord is very different than what you would expect from the host of your Airbnb right and so it's right. this, it's yeah. today right Airbnb short term rentals they've really become synonymous with expecting right great hospitality and I've, you know there's a threshold and, and and really a spectrum of of good to great to to you know bad to amazing uh Airbnb and Airbnb experiences but i do feel like the ones that really stand out are the ones where they really understand that they're in the hospitality business. Their job is to not just give you a clean bed, but like ensure that you feel welcomed and inspired while you're in their space, which design plays a a huge, huge role in that. So it's my understanding that you have, you guys have owned or own a, a couple of Airbnbs. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how you came about owning these properties and how you thought about sort of like designing an experience that would delight guests.
0: Yeah. So yes, we we did own an Airbnb um, for a couple of years when we lived in Indiana. And we it was actually our basement of our house, but it was set up as a completely separate apartment with a kitchenette. So when we bought the house, it already had the kitchenette, but then we just kind of enhanced the space and added to it and, um, made it more comfortable. So, yeah, I think that that's exactly right. You, you have to put hospitality at the forefront of the creative process and allow that to guide you. So when I am setting up an Airbnb space, um, designing it from, or designing it for somebody else, I think exactly about who I want to attract in that space, who are Mm. the guests I'm catering to. And if you design the space and build the space for the guests that you want staying there, then those are the guests that you're going to attract. That's who is going to be drawn to your space. And that's who ultimately will book your space and you'll be able to price it accordingly. Um, So Yeah. So we, we don't own that property anymore, but it was connected to the house where we lived. So we did unfortunately have to sell it, but we were able to sell our house super quickly because it had this bonus property added to it. It was already all set up. Everything was there. We had keyless entry, um, you know, slage locks put on the doors and it was like a turnkey Airbnb. Yeah. It was like a turnkey, um, bonus Airbnb (laughs) on an, on a great house. That's awesome. So, um, and then, yeah, did that answer the question? Yeah, no, I think no, I, think, I think
1: that answered the question very well. I'm, and I'm curious, like during that, right? So you have this, you have this unique perspective of not just being somebody who loves design, who is uh, help loves creating and crafting sort of these beautiful, unique, inspiring spaces. Um, but right, you've also been a host yourself. So I'm I'm just curious, like what what was hardest about being an Airbnb host during that time, especially right for an yeah. Airbnb that was so close slash connected to to your home
0: well that's exactly it that the thing i was most nervous about was the invasion of privacy Mm. and um having people be so connected and feeling like we needed to shush everybody and make sure we weren't too loud and and so that's what i was most nervous about we also had two giant dogs at the time and so i was worried that our nutty protective one was going to go crazy and bark at them (laughs) but, and, and I was actually very reluctant to turn the basement into an Airbnb for this exact reason. And my husband was very persistent. This is going to be great. And also we have very little to lose here. So let's try it. And, and we were able to book only weekends, which we loved, or, you know, if we had family and we'd block it off, we were able to really just decide when we wanted people to come because we didn't have an extra mortgage to try and cover. We weren't trying for a hundred percent occupancy. So that was a little bit unique. Yeah. Um, I would say the most rewarding part of the whole thing was the financial gain, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, just this, it was just extra fun money for us because again, we didn't have an additional mortgage and we didn't put too much into it. I mean, of course we did have to set it up. So there was a little bit of upfront cost there, but, um, we were also very lucky that we were in the position to donate a portion of that income to charity. And we had a sheet that we would leave for each guest that says, you know, here's four national charities that we like to support. And we're going to take 10% of the profit from your stay and donate it to this charity in your name. And so we let them check, you know, which charity they felt like would mean the most to them. So they would check off the sheet and then we would donate that money. And, um, yeah, the whole experience of being a host and having it connected to your house ultimately ended up being incredibly rewarding. There were only upsides, very little downsides. Sometimes our kids would play with the other, with our guest kids in the backyard together. Sometimes our guests would bring us gifts in addition to, you know, paying us money. And we (laughs) we were very thrown off by that. Like what, giving us a gift? Why didn't you bring me flowers? Very, very overall, just an incredible experience. And, kind of restored any kind of faith in humanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just really great people. Yeah. That stayed with us. So
1: that's funny. It's funny you say that too, because my my wife and I have probably stayed in, I don't know, 50 Airbnbs now over the last year almost. And um our favorite experiences by far have been the ones where we have been able, and you know, it's been COVID and so it's been a little bit harder for this to happen, but uh, on the sure. couple occasions where we have been able to interact with guests, uh, excuse me, with with hosts, those have been sort of our favorite experiences because you get to understand a little bit more about how, you know, why this person designed this guest house this way or the story behind yeah. the property. And we stayed at this awesome totally. place in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and they had bought this three acre plot of land. They cut down the trees themselves and use the wood from the trees to build the air. I mean, it was this whole thing, right? And well, so, so to your, to your point, I I do think that there's something super special about being able to get at least a little bit of interaction, not too much interaction, yeah, vacation, yeah, but yeah. a little bit of interaction with the people that created the space.
0: I, mean, I think now more than ever, we're a bit starved for connection and, and it's really fun to connect with people and, you know, see why they're passionate about the place that you're staying. It adds so much, um, Interest in life, yeah. To this day,
1: yeah. It, it. it I, I, couldn't agree more. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit more now about right the design of a space and how you think about approaching that from the ground up. And you, you started by saying. Hey, I like to envision who do I want to be in this space, right? Like who are my quote unquote sort of target customers for folks that are going to come into and and stay in our and stay in our Airbnb. From there, like what are what are some frameworks that you regularly use either yourself or with clients when you're thinking about taking a space and transforming it into something that is memorable and is attractive and is conducive to creating experiences.
0: Yeah. So I think that my key phrase there to think about is start with a plan and not with your throw pillows. Mm. So you want to start with a plan and not just go out looking for things and collecting things, but first step back and think about the vision of the space that you're trying to create. Of course, think about the type of guest you're trying to attract. That's number one. And then from there, I say, do you think about your design style for sure? Um, what is going on in the space where you physically are, what are the parameters you're trying to design within? What is the space already like? Where is it physically located? So your design style will kind of be decided based on those things and your preferences. Um, And then I start by going out for inspiration either on Pinterest, on Instagram, on blogs that I like or in books. And then, so I'll do this initial deep dive looking for all the inspiration for this specific space, and then I will stop and I will get off of the internet and I will look at what I've gathered. Hmm. So typically for me, that's on Pinterest. So if I have a new project, I'll create a new project board. Hmm. And then within that board, you can kind of organize your, your sub boards like living room, bedroom, and so on. So I'll, I'll get off the internet. I'll stop pinning things. I'll try to Pinterest makes that hard now, but you just look at what you've pinned and then I'll even take the top you know, few images that I love. Maybe I'll start with the living room. I'll take the top four images that I love the most of living rooms and I'll put them onto a PowerPoint board. So -hmm. then I call this my mood, my mood board. So this is, this is the essence I'm after. This is maybe not specifically, I'm not going to copy this design, but this is kind of what I'm going for. This is the vibe of the space. And I'll think about what's, what's repetitive in these four images or five images that I've pulled into my PowerPoint board? What's, what is happening again and again? You know, is it the color scheme is very muted with pops of blue, or is it that um, there's a leather chair in every single one? Just kind of look for the repetition and then recognize that this is, this is the vibe I'm after. And now we can start thinking about, okay, what is the, what does the layout of the room need to look like? Who is going to be sitting here? How does the floor plan need to be thought through? um if it's the living room specifically? So I think it's it is really overwhelming. That's kind of a general quick overview of how I start every design process. Um, that it is, it is very overwhelming. And I think that's exactly why I created my short-term rental design course, which I know we're going to talk more about in a bit, but it, it breaks down the process into these easy to follow steps. And honestly, I go back to my my kind of broken down process, even when I'm creating a new project now, I make sure that I'm <laughs> following the guide because it, it takes me to like the left brain side of myself where I can say, okay, right. I could sit here on Pinterest in this rabbit hole for 10 hours and actually not get anywhere for my project. But I need to I need to move my ball forward. I need to think about um, the space that I'm designing and what's going to be the vibe of it and what's going to be my anchor points and um, how can I move this forward?
1: Do you typically, once you're in sort of like mood board phase, is the goal to start with like the same space, more or less in every project? Meaning, do you always start with the living room, like post mood board, and you're working on a project? Do you tend to consistently start with the same room and then sort of design from there? Or does your is your starting point different depending on the project?
0: I think it depends on the project. It dep- I mean, if you're living room, sometimes you have a great room. So your living room and your dining room may be connected or your eating space may be all connected. So generally I do start with the common area first okay. before going into the bedroom, because that allows me to, I feel like that's kind of the anchor point. And then it allows me to kind of develop the color scheme for the entire space, um, the design style for the entire space. and And I'll go from there.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have a preference for... Designing something sort of from the ground up right so somebody buys a brand new condo and it's in a new development and they've done nothing to it versus, hey, this has been somebody's home for 20 years, they're going to go move retire and they want to transform this space into a short term rental property that'll be attractive to, you know, hipster millennials or something like that, right? Like, do you have a preference in terms (laughs) of, in terms of sort of the kind of project the starting point for projects?
0: A great question. I think I'd prefer the one where the people have lived for 20 years, because again, it has going to have some character and soul that I can mm-hmm. maybe work with. And, and then also I would say for me, it depends on the physical proximity. If it's, if there are renovations involved, I'm going to want to be physically close to that project versus if it's an empty condo, I can design that from anywhere for yeah. anybody. I can do that from England. I can do an, a virtual design for you and then you implement Um, I think they're both really fun for different reasons. Honestly, if you, um, the condo is a bit easier, it's less of a challenge because when you have the place that's been lived in for 20 years and the older couple moves out, you're going to need to renovate. Sure. And so that's going to, that requires a lot more layers. And I don't know if you know how the building world is going right now, but it's like getting materials for anything. It's hard getting contractors is hard. It's nuts.
1: (laughs) I, I have heard a thing or two. My parents are actually, uh, building a house right now and it's been it's been a nightmare so um i have heard a little bit about that but so you're big on helping folks choose a design style and you you believe sort of like once you've developed this plan it's really important maybe even in the mood board process to at some point sort of solidify okay what is the what is the style of the place going to be right um how how do you recommend folks go about deciding that right and and can you give us sort of just like a i guess a rough I don't know three or four different kinds of styles to to help paint a picture for what that actually means to you when you say pick a design style for your home before you Mm -hmm. go and pick out the throw pillows. What are sort of the design the the classic design styles that people tend to tend to select for projects like this?
0: Yeah, so i I have a style quiz specifically tailored to short term rentals Hmm. on my website. Um, and I would say, I actually, I knew you were going to ask me this question. So I looked up what was the most popular. Cause I think this is really interesting. And most people said that they were at, these were short-term rental hosts or, um, soon to be hosts or aspiring hosts. And they said they, they thought they wanted their place to be modern, but cozy. Mm. So this, Style, if I have to put this style into a name, I would call it contemporary cottage. Mm. So, what does this mean? It means modern, but also very cozy, very comfortable. So, not necessarily minimal, but also not overstuffed with stuff, which is a really great style to go after um, for rentals. Um, another really great style is coastal. There's lots of different types of coastal. You can lean towards more transitional or traditional or you could be more contemporary coastal. So I think that the style of your space comes down to your physical location, like your proximity to water, or Mm. are you in the woods? Are you in the middle of an urban environment that's going to come into play? And then, like I said, those physical parameters of your space are also going to be important to consider and think about. So it would be more challenging to make a city condo that is all kind of drywall, white drywall and hardwood floors into a um traditional rustic space mm. but anything's possible with enough imagination enough money i'm not telling you can't, you can't can't do that of course you can do whatever style you think you would have the most fun creating um but i think i think the design style is not necessarily it should be something that you, you use as a guide and an inspiration to keep you on the right track and moving in the right direction right so it's not um it shouldn't feel restrictive, but it should feel helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Almost like sort of, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a path, but right. The path is got dotted lines. It's it's not hard lines, right? Like, um, it's not hard lines. No.
0: And, and in fact, one, one very popular style is eclectic and eclectic eclectic just basically means you're meshing a bunch of styles together. That I think is a lot harder to do. If you are designing the first thing you've ever designed, if you're pulling together a room for the first time and you want to do eclectic, it's harder to pull that off, but it's still possible.
1: What, one of the things that we've noticed as we've been hopping around different places is that there is a sort of like a, a lot of like consistent, um, uh pieces right that you see kind of pop up in in different uh Airbnbs like the the same coffee table or like the same sort of like <laughs> world market like end table um and <laughs> i'm curious like when when you think about uh the spaces that you've designed and or working with clients and or even just in in your own experience as a host what when it, when it comes to designing a place that a lot of people are going to come in and out of like what considerations do you need to take into account here right so it's not you're not just designing a place that you are going to spend your time with your family and you're yeah. going to have control over who puts their feet where and you know how you know right. folks treat the pillows, right? You're, you're designing a space with the intention of lots of people, hopefully moving in and out of it. Right. So what are, what are some considerations that you think folks need to take into account when designing a space that is going to get a lot of traffic?
0: So I would say, think about the things that are getting high touch first as being your biggest ticket items. Mm. So your, Sofa is going to get the most wear and tear of anything in your space. You do not want a cheap sofa. So go a little bit higher um, on that. Your dining table and chairs as well. You don't, if you buy target chairs, that's not across the board, but some of the, some lines from target actually have gotten a lot better and they do higher quality things. But if you do like the target essentials brand, you're going to be replacing that very quickly. Don't do that. Um, so anything that is physically touched or sat on as important rugs, I think are also important. I don't think you need to spend a ton of money on rugs, but you don't want to buy a rug that is cotton, for example, because mm. it's going to pill, it's going to wear, it's going to you're going to replace it in six months. Um, if you want a cheap rug, cheap rug, and you have a lot of space to cover? Go for a sisal, which you can get anywhere. You can get them at Ikea or world market and they, um, are, they go with almost every style. I think they're really versatile. They're pretty easy to clean. They're also easy to replace and they're biodegradable. So, so rugs, sofas, dining table and chairs, and then think about your mattress and your bed as being high ticket items too. So those are kind of the most expensive things. And then where you want to save money are the things where, you know, get that world market end table if you want, or go to the flea market and grab an end table and paint it yourself. You know, end tables don't have to match. I think it's fun when they don't actually. So that's where you can add some personality and save some money at the same time. Um, in tables are a good one. Lamps are a good place to save money. You don't need like targets. Great for lamps. World market's great for lamps. Um, Ottomans if you do little poofs those are mm. those are great low ticket items and the coffee table as well yeah
1: yeah yeah no that's that's super helpful and yeah I wanted to have, I wanted to have immediately thought of the sofa as sort of the first thing to like not skimp on um but yeah that makes a ton of sense and you know when the last thing as a guest too that you want to experience when you walk into a space is you know a tear in, in, sort of the primary sitting area. Cause it's such a big focal point or right? a broken sofa a leg. Bro- yeah. We stayed
0: <laughs> at an Airbnb in Chicago, honest to God, we sat down on the sofa and it was an Ikea sofa and uh, I love Ikea, but don't buy your sofa there for a short term rental. It's most likely just not going to be sturdy enough. And the yeah. leg broke immediately. And then she asked us if we wanted $20, to repair it ourselves. Oh, <laughs> we were like, we're not college students, but we are clearly staying in a place tailored to yeah, college yeah, students. Yeah. yeah, it was not a good one.
1: But, that, but, that's, but that's actually really, I think, helpful for, for people Like, right? as you're even thinking about designing the space. Like you might, uh, you know, depending on kind of where you're at in life, right? If, if, you, if you are genuinely hopeful that this short-term rental will be this profitable, like, you know, people coming in and out every day, more or less, you want 100% booking or as close to it as possible, it really does make sense for you to spend more on furniture than maybe you would even be accustomed to spending on, you know, yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're still early on in your career and you've got that, you've got an apartment and then this is like your second condo or whatever it might be. And it's probably more important to spend more more cash on nicer quality stuff in that space simply because it's going to get tons and tons and tons of traffic, hopefully, because um, that's yeah. the time yeah. that your business and- is working.
0: And you've got to budget in replacing those things that are broken if you you don't spend that upfront cost or you can't maybe, which is, you know, if you have to do that to get started, that's okay. But just recognize that, yeah, the more you invest in those high touch things, the longer you're gonna get out of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, what are the tips and tricks and or hacks that you use when it comes to sourcing your furniture, your plants? different decor that you use in a space, where where are sort of like go-to stores, um, your go-to e-commerce stores, whatever it might be, Where how, how do you sort of approach the actual sourcing process?
0: That's a great question. So if I am recommending it depends on the style. Sure. Obviously, sure. I think my favorite my favorite furniture brand to shop with for short-term rentals is Article. Um, they're a more modern company. They do a lot of mid-century modern and modern furniture. They have indoor furniture and outdoor. And I've used their sofas and designs for residential clients as well as Airbnb. So it's just really high-quality stuff. They don't have storefronts, so it cuts out that additional fee. And it's just a more direct pricing. So it's really great quality for the price. Um, And then I really like to do a lot of secondhand shopping as well for a project. So I always, this is, this is where that plan comes into play. You want to have your plan set before you go after these secondhand things because they're not returnable. So you really want to know that what you're getting is going to work in the space, both aesthetically and that it's going to physically fit. So if you kind of have your plan ready, then I like to go to local secondhand vintage shops or Facebook Marketplace, or flea markets, um, antique fairs, any of those things. And then you're adding character and life into into the space with your design, which is a bonus
1: that's that's awesome so when it comes to like budgeting for all of this right like how do you how do you encourage folks to we, we've already talked about sort of like you don't want to skimp on sofas you don't want to skimp on mattresses you probably also don't want to skimp on sort of like the dining room table but how do you how do you recommend if i'm starting from scratch here and i've got a space it's relatively new but i want to spice it up and turn it into a, a true experience for folks like how do i go about starting to think about costs uh, from the, from a planning standpoint, how do you recommend Mm -hmm. folks like structure this?
0: Okay. So I, I like spreadsheets. I do have a left side of my brain. And so I keep everything, um, tracked in a spreadsheet, but if you just are thinking about an investment and you want to know, like, I need to know how much I'm going to be all in at the beginning, Because you need this money up front, obviously. I think a really good general number, and I've talked to other hosts about this as well, and in my experience, it holds true, that you want to think for about $10 a square foot for your furniture and your amenities. So getting it from an empty shell, so this does not include any renovation or paint or anything, but like you have this empty space ready to fill that you can estimate about $10 a square foot to get it guest ready. So that's from stocking the kitchen to having sheets on the beds to having beds to having all the furniture put together. So that's a really good general number. And um, yeah, I I think that, you know, ROI is really important. This is a business and and you have to start thinking about it like a business on day one. And you want to know that you're not just, there's no huge sunk costs on the design end. So it's really important to be very strategic with what you spend on more heavily and where you save money. And I think that buying secondhand is the best way to save money. However, it does take time. And yeah. that's money too in the scenario. So you have to be really smart about making sure that you aren't spending a ton of extra time looking for all those secondhand things when you could have your place up and running and and you know earning revenue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very important to sort of assess the trade-off there, right? Like do you want to save more money up front and are you willing to get, wait longer before you can go live with the place or is the goal to go live with the place ASAP and spend a little bit more money on those, you know, dining chairs. Um, so yeah, although right now
0: I will say that even spending a little extra time looking for secondhand is going to be better because lead times for furniture is bonkers. That's true. And totally upside down. If you're listening to this and it's new and it's, um, where are we June of 2021, it's probably not going to get better for a while, the furniture industry. So our lead times are really long right now for a lot of different reasons. And um, it's gonna stay that way, I think, for a bit. Yeah. Sad to say. So secondhand is an immediate thing. Like you, you buy that dresser, and now you've got the dresser. Yeah. You're everyone,
1: uh, I think we're gonna start sort of like a, a thrifting like revolution or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about your course now because you have spent a lot of time. Uh, you, you are, you're an interior designer by trade. You've been an Airbnb host yourself. You've helped other folks design their Airbnbs. What inspired you to launch this Airbnb design course and talk to us a little bit about like the work and the preparation that that went into this course?
0: Okay, I would love to. It was um more work than I ever anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I got this project, my design firm got this project that was a three bedroom Airbnb house. Mm-hmm. And I had a designer working for me at the time who her husband was a videographer and he approached me and he was like, Hey Val, do you want to film an e-course in the space? And I was like, yeah, Zach, I do. His name was Zach too. Um, I was like, I don't know how to do that, but let's do it. And he he's very talented and he has um, he had all the like fancy equipment and lighting and everything. And so we did it. We, we filmed it. It was such a brilliant project because had a lot of free reign. There was a contractor that owned this house and he didn't really care so much what we did. And so he handed us the keys and a check and he said, Great, turn it into an Airbnb. Wow. So we outfitted, we procured every piece of furniture. We bought every glass and piece of silverware in the kitchen. We did everything for this house. And in the process, we documented it into this course so that it's kind of a case study from the front to the back. Not only um, do you get to see us kind of put the space together, but it's it's a step-by-step of the design process so that you can kind of know how I take a house from totally empty and Mm. white walls and boring to guest ready and really remarkable.
1: I love that. I love that. What was, um, what was hardest about the course, uh, the course development? Was it the actual scripting of the content? Was it sort of the, the editing components? Was it the actual framework? Like how do you take something that you just know? So, you know, from it, it's, it's instinctual, right? Like you it, you just, yeah. you just understand, oh, well, this is how we do these things. Like, I feel like when you're forced to sit down and really flesh something out, that's, uh, methodical that others can sort of replicate without the context that you like live and breathe yeah. each day, that it, it's especially challenging. But what was, what was hardest for you about putting this course together?
0: So the scripts were actually fairly easy. Once I sat down, they started to just kind of flow out of me. And And honestly, you're exactly right. Getting it out of my head is this process I always follow roughly into here is this formatted and a step-by-step for someone who's never done it before allowed me to really take a harsh look at how I do flow through a project and then to be able to kind of fine tune that a little bit. And now, like I said, I kind of go back to the course and I'm like, feeling overwhelmed with this project. Okay. What's next on my list? Okay. I need to go into my um, I need to do my color scheme now so that I can really understand what's next for flowing in the space or whatever. So yeah, it felt, it felt really fun. And I think um, I didn't realize I was maybe a natural teacher in this way, but getting it out into this really methodical step-by-step process was The fun part Mm. and the easier part, the hard part for anyone who is going to build a course is all of the follow up on the back end. So we filmed all of the videos inside of the house, knowing that I would then spend a lot of time putting together all the back end content that really make those videos valuable. So the videos themselves are like 15 to 20 minutes. There's five different lessons, but then there is a year's worth of, um, exercises and blog links and resources and, um, bonus material that I have really spent a lot of time and effort putting together so that this is actually something that is incredibly valuable. And my goal is to continue to add to it. My goal is to create this into a full blown, you know, Airbnb design school with mm. even more, um, layered into it over time. So, I think, I mean, the feedback that I've gotten so far from the folks that have taken it is, yeah, like it's, it's full of information. It's so much information and you always have access to it. Um, One of my course students said that she was kind of in the middle of the design. She had gone through the whole course. She was in the middle of designing her beach house and she was spinning one day. She was at, you know, world market or target or something trying to do some finishing touches. And she was like, you know, I was, I was spinning. Like my, I was overwhelmed. And I went back to watch the lesson three again. And then I felt back on track and I understood what I needed to do next.
1: Wow. That's
0: so awesome. I don't remember your question,
1: but. No, no, just what was <laughs> hardest. What was hardest about putting all this what together? Yeah. And you, yeah, just, it your, just. The backend I, stuff. Yeah.
0: The backend stuff. I had absolutely no idea how long that would take. And then of course, getting it into the right hands is, is a completely separate Job description. Yeah. Right. And that's that's why we're here. And I get to meet people like you. And so this is this is this is the fun part too. Um, but not without its own challenges.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. It's it's one thing to sort of create the content and it's another thing to figure out, oh gosh, how do we how do we promote this, right? So that the right people can yeah. stumble upon. because again, it is so valuable. You spent so much time pouring so much of yourself and your process into this. You've got these. Awesome, you know testimonials from folks who have had success implementing sort of the the frameworks that they've learned from the course. How do you share that with with more people? Um, so if yeah, you're listening yeah, so and you cool. want to design your Airbnb, <laughs> or you're looking for inspiration to design your Airbnb, uh, you can take you can take Val's course. Um, and you know, but but seriously, I w- one of the things I'm interested in in hearing just a little bit more about is when you sort of think about how to I guess, uh, who the right personas are to be taking this course, right? Like, is it, is this somebody who has zero design taste and they are like, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start? Like, I, I need help. I don't even know that I know what, you know, blue and greens whether they go together or not right like is it that kind of a person or is is this is it more targeted to folks that they have a design an eye for design at least roughly they understand sort of the kind of experience they want the space to give off but they're not entirely sure what language to use or or how to go about approaching the process systematically like who 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 will get i guess the most out of this course
0: that's a great question definitely the latter i think you have to have Uh, An interest in learning this skill a little bit and somewhat of a design eye, but you can certainly have zero experience ever doing um, a design other than maybe kind of fluffing your own houses, yeah, um, and still have great success with this course. But yeah, you do have to have an interest in design. You do have to have somewhat of a design eye um, for this to be really relevant content for you and for you to really enjoy it. And if you're the first person you described, then you should probably hire a designer, um, as opposed to trying to do it yourself. And that's a completely different, different kind of conversation. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's not only the person who maybe, you know, you've bought this one investment property, or maybe you've got a couple, or you want to eventually have a portfolio of them that you own. And you want to be able to, to do this yourself as kind of a creative outlet or to save the design fees, um, It's for that person. It's also for somebody who maybe is in the management space. So if you want to, if you're doing short-term rental management or you have a short-term rental management company, then if you have the ability to create really great designs, then that is going to add an additional arm of revenue for your company because you can charge for your designs. Um, and this course will certainly arm you with everything you need to be able to do that. So, um, and then I think if you yeah, no I think that's all. No, that that, that makes a, that
1: that's a that's a great answer. Um I got two final questions for you. One is just around post design, right? So you've got you've picked out your sofa, you've got your rugs, you've got your throw pillows, right? And you're you're ready to sort of bring the space uh onto the Airbnb marketplace. Um and you know, hit go live with listing. Where, what are your thoughts on sort of how experiential design fits into this, meaning, and again, maybe this is a poor use of the technical term experiential design, but in terms of like the uh, the soaps that you use in this space, whether you leave, you know, goodies or not, the uh Mm. the you know silverware that you have in this space like these these, you know i I don't know if you'd categorize this as all part of sort of like the interior design of a space or if this is sort of a little bit more focused on how are you ensuring that from a hosting perspective from a hospitality perspective like you're delivering a great experience what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on on that like is it sort of like this natural extension is it something that people need to be even more cognizant of today, especially as more and more and more Airbnbs become available and folks are looking for ways yeah. to differentiate themselves. How 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 yeah. would you encourage or, or guide somebody who has built this beautiful space um, with pointers around how to actually ensure that the space translates neatly into a wonderful experience?
0: So the fifth lesson of the course actually is called how to be like a hotel, but better. Mm. So I think it absolutely translates into the design realm because we are as designers, if you're designing the space or um, you have a designer doing it, you're creating an experience. And in this case, you're in creating you're creating an experience that should be entrenched in really great hospitality, like you said. So how do you become like a hotel, but better people are often going for short term rentals because they want them ideally to have everything a hotel has bedside tables and lamps and blackout curtains and um a responsive host. but also, you have more than just that, right? So how can you elevate the experience in a different way um so yeah, really great soaps. think about the other amenities in some cases, you can offer. Um, You can sell things inside of your home. This is maybe a totally different level, but if you've got, if you've got maybe um, a local vendor that makes the wool blankets that you have on your Adirondack chairs outside, then you could have, you could sell those inside of the space. You can have really excellent soaps, really high quality soaps, like you said, Um, and then you can also, in some cases you can sell them, but you could also just leave a, leave it as a gift. So there are a lot of um, Etsy shops where Mm. you can get small individual customized soaps, and you could even have one on brand if you have named your Airbnb. So it's, you know, it's a lot about branding. It's about hospitality. It's about creating an experience. And that absolutely all ties back into, um, the design. And it goes back to the very foundation of your design, which is who are you trying to attract? Who are you speaking to? What are they going to value? Because it could be the guest you're trying to cater to does not care about specialty soaps, but what do they care about? So pinpoint that and figure out, try to get into their head and really define who that person is and then think about what they would really like and cater to that. Yeah.
1: I love that. I love that. And I think that that is such a, an intentional approach to this whole experience. And I think that especially as more and more people, um, as, as though as as work becomes a little bit more flexible for many people and will probably be flexible for many people for for the long term um, I, I think yeah. more and more more and more people are going to want spaces where they can work, spaces where they can stay for longer periods of time um, and so i think we're we're just on the cusp of of this great sort of like short term stay revolution so for folks who want to learn more about your course take your course get in touch with you ask you questions uh maybe even contract you for for your uh design consulting services how how should they go about doing so
0: so my website is just dot but we're going to have some special um things for your subscribers and your listeners that um so you'll want to check out the show notes we'll you all the links that we have talked about for the different blogs, but then also I'm going to have a special um, discount off of the course yes. for podcast listeners and for all of your um, email subscribers. So you'll want to just look into the show notes and get the link there for the discount code and um, to the course. And I'm actually relaunching the course. So it's not live right now. There's a wait list on my site right now and I'm relaunching it. It'll be um, July 7th is the day that it'll go live with a webinar. So I'll have a link to that in your show notes as well.
1: Perfect. Perfect. I love it. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. I've learned a ton. And I know that our great. our listeners have as well. So um, folks, yes, scroll down on whatever device that you're using, click on to over into the show notes and you can access all of the links, uh, all of the special codes uh, that we've got that we've got listed there. But thank you so much for your time, Valerie. I really, really appreciate it, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend.
0: Thank you, Zach. You as well. It's been a pleasure.
1: at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're gonna roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.